If you're able, would you remain standing for the reading of God's Word? We're turning this morning to Psalm 119, verse 105. That's the noon section of the psalm. Uh, you can think of it if you're going, as at noon, the sun is up in the sky and its light is everywhere. And that's how the passage starts. Psalm 119, verse 105, the noon section. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your, ju- your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, I pray, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not strayed from your precepts. Your testimonies I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that your word would have its way with us today in the hands of your spirit as he works in us. For ask in Jesus' name, and we say, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Throughout the millennia, the Word of God has been called many things by friend and foe. Uh, Thomas Guthrie, who was a 19th century Scottish pastor and social worker, which often went together in the history of the world, being a pastor and a social worker at the same time, said this concerning the Word of God. The Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, and a balm for every wound. Rob us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. That's that's how he spoke of the Bible. And that's 100% accurate in what he said. Rob us of our Bible and our sky has lost its sun. The Bible it refers to itself by various images. The book of James calls the Bible the mirror that in which we can see ourselves. Uh, Ephesians 6 and Hebrews 4 say that the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. God himself says in Jeremiah 23, 29, is not my word like a, tr- a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Psalm 119 has already called the Bible a treasure and compared it to riches, to silver, to gold, and to honey. In addition to all that, today's text calls the Bible a lamp and a light. During the uh, Dark Ages and during the Medieval Age, uh, the church kept the light under a bushel. And if you don't know what a bushel is, just a basket. The, the church kept the Bible under a basket uh, away from the people, restricted to only the elite church leaders. And even them were very ignorant of what the Bible said. The Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, and if you wonder what is that, the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century 
Well, it's that time where a German monk, monk decided to nail some things to the door of a church. And God used that to change the church and to bring the church, at least a portion of the church, back to his word and to reform the church. And so what started with a protest, thus the Protestant Reformation, gave birth to the greatest revival in the history of the church since the day of Pentecost. So the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century recovered God's word as a lamp and as a light and that led many out of darkness and shone it as a light on the path of the feet of many others. The motto of uh, the city of Geneva, while John Calvin was a pastor there, was post tenebras lux, which means in English, after darkness, light. The uh, spiritual darkness of the times was overcome by the lamp and light of God's word. If you go to Geneva, there is a, a wall there called the Wall of the Reformers, and in it has several statues of Calvin some of the larger ones, and then some smaller ones. And one of them, the great Swiss and French reformer, is standing there, but he has his hands down on an open Bible because he knew that that was the Word of God. The reformers understood the truth of this first verse, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Sadly, Here in the United States, if things continue as they are, the motto of our country will prove to be, after light, darkness. Following the pattern of much of Europe, Western Europe, this day, our country remains a religious country. It's perhaps the most religious country in the world, at least in the Western civilization. But it is returning to the darkness after having so much light in the past. And we can be thankful that God always has elect from every nation. And we can rejoice that in other places in the world, the Spirit is working mightily. You see reports coming out of Asia, reports coming out of Africa, reports coming out of uh, Muslim world, uh, the so-called 1040 window, uh, the global south, the Lord working great work and there in Christianity moving south and moving east in uh, the global uh, scene. And we're thankful for that, uh, that the Lord is working there. But we also want to pray for a modern reformation in our midst. We want to pray for our nation, bringing us, uh, that, that the Lord will bring us truly back to the Word of God, including churches that have abandoned God's Word and their past heritage of Scripture's sufficiency and inerrancy. The prayer of verse 107 must be our prayer. There the psalmist prays, prays, revive us, O Lord, according to your word. That has to be our prayer, brothers and sisters, that the Lord revive us, revive us as individuals, revive us as a local church, revive us as a denomination, revive us as just the Christian church as a whole so that we can Know the Lord and be on fire for Him. In the city of Olympia today, in the Olympia, Lacey, Tumwater, um, and there are other cities here. In any, any Lord's Day, there's about 11 different cities represented in our sanctuary. But 
just considering Lacey and Olympia and Tumwater, there are more people worshiping in churches that don't believe in Christ than there are people worshiping churches that believe in Christ. Just by membership, if you just look at membership roles. And you have to pray that those churches that once so clearly proclaimed Christ and now have gone into darkness will come back to life and be revived by the Word of God. Sola Scriptura, the Reformation doctrine of Scripture alone, that the Bible is sufficient for salvation and all of life and godliness, is not something that the Reformers made up. It's actually throughout the entire Bible, and specifically, that is the theme of Psalm 119. And our text this morning teaches us that the Bible is the ultimate source of divine guidance. And that's what we're going to spend our time this morning. Look at the fact that the Bible is the ultimate source of divine guidance. So being a lamp and light means that the Bible guides us. Look again with me at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And you read it and it sounds so familiar, we're so used to it, that sometimes we don't stop to think about exactly what was the background uh, that led the psalmist to use this sort of imagery to explain what the Bible was for him. R.L. Strauss, which is a New Testament scholar who focused on studying backgrounds of, of, of the imageries in the Bible, he offers a good explanation for the imagery of this verse. He says that when an ancient traveler journeyed at night, he carried an oil lamp with him, and that's um, we can think of that, but usually we'll picture something like we see in the movies, like something that he carries like this. But it was more likely a little clay lamp with olive oil or some type of oil inside that he would carry like this in his hand. Not much light there. As he walked along, he would swing the, 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 the light out back and forth in front of him so he could see the rocks and ruts directly ahead of him in the road and he could avoid them. Sometimes he actually strapped a small lamp on his ankle. That's the idea of the lamp into my feet. So not only had the light here, but he also strapped a small lamp to his ankle. I don't know how he could do that, keep the lamp, lamp from sp- spilling the oil and kept it uh, burning there. And it illuminated the path before him one step at a time as he walked. So Strauss offers this. That is how... God uses his word to guide us. He does not promise a brilliant blaze of light to illuminate the road for miles ahead. He promises a lamp to our feet, enough light for the next step. Whether that's exactly what the imagery is supposed to be or not, the explanation helps us understand what is it the psalmist had in mind as he uses this imagery of lamp and light. And the word of God is the guide to how we go about life and to life itself. This is not convenient guidance for one's career. It's not like you get the Bible and you shake it and then you find the answer. It's not the magic eight ball. It's not the, uh, the, the Bible roulette where you open and, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, this is, that, that's a superstitious way of thinking about guidance. But the Bible is truth for moral Choices. It gives us the principles, every principle we need to make any choice, any moral choice in our lives. And the light of scriptures is needed to see the snares 
that the wicked lays in our path. In verse 110, the psalmist talks about the wicked having laid snares for him. Therefore, he needs the light of the word of God to be able to see those snares, those traps, those obstacles that are laid out there before him. And the psalmist wants the light of the Bible because he hates every false way. In verse 104, he tells us that, as Andrew explained to us last Sunday, that there are false ways out there, and the only way to figure that out is by having the light of the Bible shown on the path that we might know which ones are false and which ones are true. The imagery of the Word of God being a light that guides those who belong to God by faith is not unique to Psalm 119. Solomon used that often in the book of Proverbs. Listen to Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 24. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you are awake, they will speak with you. For, or because, you do all these things because the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Here, Solomon says, says that the word of God is a light that guides us away from sexual immorality in verses 23 and 24. But notice that he also says that that is one application of the guidance that the word of God provides. He tells us in verse 23 towards the end that reproof of instruction are the way of life, that the Bible tells us everything that is a way of life. We go to it to figure out what is the way of light. life. It is because of that that he wants his son, that's because of the, the, the Bible is light and is a lamp, that Solomon wants his son to keep the law of God that he received through his mom and dad. And so kids, can you look out for a second? Every Parents, can you make sure your, parents, your kids are looking up, stop drawing? Um, you are in an awesome place. You are in a family. You are all in the families who love the Lord, who are teaching you the word of God. Don't waste that. Uh, do what the what Solomon says. Put them around your neck, not necessarily literally, but remember, let, let that word control your thinker and uh, what you do and what you say. Don't waste the fact that you've been put in this just most wonderful place. Not only that, you are in a church with all its problems. And I'm sure we can list 15,000 problems that our church has. But little brothers and little sisters, with all our problems, every Lord's Day... Every Wednesday, you have this book open up and explained to you. What a blessing that God has given you His treasure for you to hold within you. And parents, do you notice Solomon's emphasis that, 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 Solomon, that, that the light of the Word, that the lamp of the Word is being given to his sons by him as a father? And he says, don't waste what your mother and what your father has given you. So parents, be faithful. Be faithful. It doesn't matter if your kid can throw a ball. 
It doesn't matter if I mean, you drive through North Thurston, you drive by the temple of whatever God that is, the parents take their tiny kids who could care less about football to pray, to play football, and to pray to the football God. Doesn't matter if your kid has two left feet. Doesn't matter if your kid cannot throw a ball. It doesn't matter if your kid has straight A's at school if he does not know the Word of God and the God of the Word. Parents, what's important to you? That your kid goes to Harvard or that your kid goes to heaven? What matters to you? That your kid eats with a fork or that he knows Jesus Christ? It might even sound funny to some of you, but this is life or death. Is the Word of God the light, the lamp that you're using in your home to guide all of you to heaven? Mom and Dad, are you saying, son, daughter, mom and I are going to heaven and you are coming with us? The stupidest thing you can do as a father, as a, as, a, as a mother, is say, you know what, they need to decide for themselves. Because when you do that, you're the only person in the entire world of, out of seven point whatever billion people with that attitude. Nobody else. Everybody else is after the heart and the mind of your child. If you're not, you're the only one that's not doing that. So Solomon says, keep it close to your heart. Make it yours. Right? When it says to tie on your hearts, make the word of God yours. Have it control your thoughts, speech, and what you see and hear. Remember the, the what's the name of the movie? The Big Fat Greek Wedding? Where the mother is giving, giving advice to the daughter that's about to get married. And you need to submit to the husband because the husband's ahead. Right? And then she'd say, but... The wife is what? Is the neck that turns. Whether that's right or not, that's a memorable scene. But here, when he says, tie the word of God around your neck, that's the kind of imagery. Is what controls your head. Okay. Scientists, we're not talking about super accurate and anatomical and physiological and medical explanation. But in, generally speaking... Right? You can understand the idea that your neck controls what's up here. Controls where you look. Controls what you say. Controls what you hear. Controls your brain. So he says, let the word of God be what controls all that's going on up, up here. Let your word of God control your thinking. Uh, I, I may have shared that to you. My dad growing up, when I would mess up, he would say, son... Your brain is for more than separating your ears, right? It's supposed to be used for thinking. Um, and as the sun does that here, according to Proverbs 6, the word of God will be the universal guide for his life. Psalm says, when you do that, then when you roam, when you're awake, when you're asleep, the word of God is a lamp and a light to your feet. Now, earlier on in the book of Proverbs, Solomon spoke about this idea of the word of God being the guidance of those who follow God without using the image of light. Remember a verse that we probably memorized if you went to Sunday school early on in your life, you memorized early on in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Remember what that, how's that go? 
Trust in the Lord. Yes, Kim, go ahead. Get us good. Trust in the Lord with what? And? But? Yes. Exactly. Good job. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Direction from the Lord does not come from our relying on our independent understanding of all things. Direction from the Lord comes from our leaning on him as he speaks through his word. And as you continue, I wanted to, say, I wanted to bring up three thoughts about the Word of God being a light to those who follow Him. So a few thoughts about the Word of God being the light to those that follow Him. And we, once, usually when a pastor says that, it's because he couldn't really organize his thoughts well enough to have a more clever point. So three related thoughts about the Word of God being a light to those who follow God. One is, the imagery of a lamp to the feet and light to the path evokes the idea of a walk in the dark night. Obvious, but it's good to state the obvious. Nobody needs a lamp and a light for a walk in the day when the sun is out. If you ever go, if you ever, if you have ever gone on a walk in the darkness of night, even a clear night with a full moon, you know that the light of a flashlight won't allow you to see miles ahead. Even with the brightest of moon, the clearest of skies, you can see the contour of the elevation and so on, but you cannot see the details. You cannot see the little rocks, the potholes, and whatever as you're walking uh, in the night. Uh, at uh, um, teen camp in Montana, the Presbyterian camp, the bathrooms are far away from the cabins. Most of the boys that go don't care. They just go outside the door and pee outside in the woods. Uh, right? I mean, see, they all. Um, but, you know, most of uh, the adults, even though we really wanted to do that, we figured that we probably shouldn't. So we have to walk from the cabins to the bathroom. And there's some light, but it's dark, and I don't have my glasses on, barely wake, and have, invariably I stub my toe because I can't see the path because there's not enough light. That's the idea that is being given here. A flashlight, a headlamp, as powerful as it may be, will provide guidance for the path just ahead of us. Though the Bible provides life-encompassing direction in, the, in its principles, it will not give us direction for decisions we need to make years or even months or weeks down the road. God gives us grace for the moment. The anxious person doesn't like hearing that. Because the anxious person wants to, to figure out tomorrow, today. The anxious person wants to have the script for life in front of him or her so that she or he can control the future, so that he or she can con- know everything about the future. The Bible doesn't do that for us. The Bible gives us big pictures, right? Christ is coming back. If we know about the future, Christ is coming back and we're going to be raised with him. That's the future information we have there. But it doesn't tell us exactly how we're going to deal with a colicky baby tomorrow. God gives us grace for the moment. We see this idea clearly in our Lord's words to his disciples. Remember, uh, it's another super familiar verse if you've been a Sunday school kid all your life. Matthew 6.33, seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. We forget about verse 34, that's the application of verse 33. For, verse 34, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Life-encompassing guidance comes from the Bible. See, God's kingdom and his righteousness instead of being anxious. This applies to every day from now till you die. And then, don't try to live tomorrow, today. The light of what is immediately in front of you is for today. Don't try to live tomorrow, today. Because God promises, one of promises that today is enough trouble. You don't have to borrow tomorrow's trouble for today. Now, this does not mean that we don't try to think through specifics of how decisions will affect our lives down the road. It doesn't mean that we don't make plans. It does mean that whatever we plan, whatever we analyze, we say, Lord willing, and your will be done. And I don't mean just say the words, but believe that is the Lord that's going to dispose of our plans. And we, don't, we definitely don't try to live tomorrow, today. The second related thing I want to say about the Bible being the light to our feet is that the Word of God only functions as a lamp and light for those who believe in God through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the illumination of the Holy Spirit. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible is a, dark, a book of darkness for you. It doesn't shed any light in your life. Jesus clearly says that he is the light of the world and the word of God. In John 8, 12, it says, I am the light of the world. In John 1, verses 1 through 3, says that he is the word. And if there's any doubt, in verse 14, says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The light of Christ shines through his word. So if you do not believe in him for the salvation of your soul... All that you see is darkness. And all that I'm saying is foolishness to you. At least you think is foolishness. The Holy Spirit enlightens our minds so that we can understand God's Word. If you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have the Holy Spirit and the Bible. is not a light to you. In 1 Corinthians 2, verses 13 through 16, Paul says that the natural mind does not understand the things of God. Unless the Spirit is present, you are not going to understand the, the things of God, for the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. I remember uh, I, I grew up, you know, my dad was a neurosurgeon, science was always a big thing in our life, and, and uh, true science is, is, is Christian, by the way. There's no true science outside of a worldview that recognizes God. But the, the, the scientific endeavor is very important, and education was very important. Academics was really the God that my parents, the functional God from our parents. So we went to the best schools, uh, went to the best university available in town, and that's how I ended up in the United States, because part of their, their view their, the, the, of a perfect education for their kids was experiencing life in a foreign country. They both had come to college in the United States, so I come here. Uh, by the providence of God, I don't go to the school that I was supposed to go because of some problem with the visa and the housing, end up in Olympia, Washington, going to Tacoma Community College. I promise you it was a downgrade from the school I was supposed to go. (laughs) 
But the Lord used that and uh, contacted the, this uh, person, this, this man, who was the uncle of um, the, the woman I was working for in Brazil. In God's providence, I was working for somebody that had family in the United States. I called him up and said, you can come and live with us. The only requirement is that you come to church on Sundays and participate in family devotions and so on, which I did. And the Lord used that to save me. And I kid you not, I went from being a staunch evolutionist who thought that any idea that there was a creative God was foolishness to overnight not being able to see anything but the true version of the origin of the world in the scriptures. It wasn't new information. It wasn't more research. It was simply the Spirit of God making the Bible a lamp and a light in my life. Thirdly, because the psalmist understands the importance of the Word of God as his guide, he commits himself to it. In verse 106, it says, I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. He commits himself to it. He sticks to the guidance of God's word in the midst of affliction. See that in verse 107, verse 109, verse 110. Why is that? Because he values the word of God as an inheritance received from the Lord. In verse 111, he says, Your testimonies are I have taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. He, he received the Word of God, the doctrines of the Word of God, as an, an eternal inheritance that came from God Himself. So he valued that very much. Now, some people say that doctrine doesn't really matter. Some people say that it's your love for God and others, and that somehow that's divided from doctrine. The doctrine divides, but love unites. If that's what you think, I want you to do something for me. Repent right now. Repent right now because you're getting your theology from Woodstock, not from the Bible. And for young people, well, I was going to say Google Woodstock, but don't because it's going to be a. Ask your parents what Woodstock was. You will not see the Bible and receive the Bible as the psalmist receive it if you don't hold on to true doctrine. You're not going to receive the Bible as the psalmist receive it if you don't see it as the inspired inerrant, that is free of mistakes, and sufficient word of God, and that is doctrine. Doctrine pushes love, and love pushes doctrine in this cycle that always goes together. All right, having said all that, how does the word of God guide us? How, how does this work in practice? Well, in order for the word of God to be light for us subjectively, we need to know it. Our personal Bible needs to get bigger. Our personal Bible needs to increase in size. And I don't mean that you're supposed to be adding pages to the Bible that you carry. What I mean is that we need to add more of the Bible to our thinking. The one that we carry with us all the time. And that cannot be done apart from studying the Bible. The Bible, the, the Christianity is in essence a teaching and learning religion. When the Apostle Paul wanted to convey to the Ephesian church what was some of the great blessings that Christ has done for them, when he's thinking here, what, how can I describe God's perfect care for his church? How can I describe how Christ blesses, blesses the church beyond all things? And he says, I know 
So in chapter 4, he says, The ascended Christ gave to his church as a gift, what? Teachers. So when Paul's trying to figure out what's the greatest thing that can say I tell the church as an encouragement, as a gift directly from their Savior, oh, I'm going to say this. God gives them teachers. We need to put ourselves in a place where when we are faced with a moral decision, a moral decision is not choosing what flavor ice cream you're going to have between this or that. That's easy. You choose both. But a moral decision is something that has to do with right or wrong, good or better, better or best. So when we, need, we need to put ourselves in a place where when we are faced with a moral decision, Bible passages start popping up into our heads. A place where we think in the biblical categories of holiness and honor to God. How does this decision that I'm about to make glorify God? Now, we often talk to people that are moving to other places, and they, they go through the checklist of things that they have done to consider whether this is a good decision or not. Well, there's a place for us to live, there's a good job, and so on. And then we might ask them, so have you thought about how you can glorify God better there than here? And it's like deer in a headlight. How is this supposed to even be part of what we're thinking about? But that's the ultimate question. How do we glorify God in this decision that we are making? So the Bible, we are guided by the Bible when we actually know the Bible. Our Bible, personal Bible is getting bigger. We're, we're, the Bible guides us in direct commands and prohibitions. So we read the Bible and says, do this or don't do that. Hey, that's settled. It's guiding us that way. The Ten Commandments, for example... Not ten suggestions, not ten principles, ten do's and don'ts. And do you know what God meant by those? Do and don't. Not something else. Uh, and there, there are ramifications that come from them. You can read the whole book of Deuteronomy, which from chapter 6 through about chapter 27, he's explaining how each of those commandments are to be lived out. You can look at the, the, our larger catechism questions 98 to 148, where the, there the Catechism explains all the different ramifications of the Ten Commandments. So the Bible guides us in direct commands and prohibitions. So we see that in the Ten Commandments. Um, we see that in the command to repent. You know the Bible commands everyone, everywhere, to repent? So you don't have to pray, to pray about it. You don't have to pray about whether you should repent before God. You just do it because God clearly commands you to do that in Acts chapter 17. The Bible clearly commands you to love your wife. The Bible clearly commands you to love your husband. The Bible clearly commands you to train your children in righteousness. The Bible clearly commands you to honor and obey your parents. The Bible clearly commands you to abstain from sexual morality and many, and many more other things. And these are just a simple, these are just things we don't have to pray about it and ask the Lord to guide us. You know, husband, you don't want to pray about whether you should love your wife or not. Just do it. You, know, you may pray for strength or guidance on how to and the grace, but don't you don't parents you don't have to pray whether you should teach your kids about Christ. You just do it because the Bible clearly tells you that. Easy guidance right there. You don't have to spend all the time in front of you. But the Bible also guides us in in, in the principles drawn from it. What the Bible teaches overall, what the Bible teaches in different systematic categories. And that helps us also make decisions. The Bible guides us through the character of God. What are the characteristics of God that he shares with us, called the communicable attributes? 
that those guide us in how we should behave. Compassion, holiness, justice, mercy, love, kindness, forgiveness, hatred for evil, etc. These guide us on decision making, making in our lives as well. The Bible guides us by the examples that God approves or disapproves. Now, so what do I mean by examples? You, you read one of the history books and there are there recorded things that people actually did. We have to be careful that we just don't count that as an example. We have to make sure that God either says, do that, or that God says, don't do that. Right? Just because it's recorded, that doesn't mean that uh, we should, uh, the Bible says that uh, Judas hanged himself. Well, just because it says he did that doesn't mean that we should go ahead and go ahead and do it. For example, let me explain what I mean by here. In Acts chapter 5, Peter says that when he's confronted by the civil and religious magistrates, the, the, the leaders of the time, and told them, and he's told by them, do not preach Christ. Peter says, I'd rather obey God, I'll obey God rather than men. That, that's a record of what happened. We don't know if that's good or bad. Well, we have an inkling, right, that that's going to be a good thing. But later on, it says that God prospered the church because of that attitude. So it says God puts a stamp of approval on that example. Do just like what Peter did. We also see that with the widow's might. Remember the, the, the way Jesus says at the temple and see this widow giving sacrificially and says, that's how it should be done. That's guidance, examples there. And another way that the Word of God becomes light to a believer in a subjective way, that is, the Word of God is always objective light, but to us it becomes light when we memorize it. We already said that in, in, early on in the psalm in verse 9. He says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And then in verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we see in our passage today that the psalmist prays fervently that God would teach him the word. He, says, he, said, he prays that in verse 108. He prays that in verse 107. He, had, he has already prayed early on in verse 18 that the Lord would open his eyes to see Great things concerning the Word of God. So God, God, God guides us as we memorize His Word. When I counsel people, um, almost every single week there's a memory assignment. And, you know, oh man, I have to memorize the Bible and so on. Well, counseling is not much more than helping you practice the things that are in the Bible. And if you can't, if you don't know it, you can't really practice it. We're going to skip the last point. Let me finish with this. The conclusion of the matter is that the psalmist is committed to obeying what he sees and learns in the Word all the days of his life. In verse 112, I have inclined my heart to perform his statutes forever, to the end, to the very end. This is really how the Word of God works as a light. It shows us the path to the Lord, which is always a path of obedience. Remember that God is good, and he does good. We see that in verse 68 of this psalm. God is good, and he does good. So the path of obedience is the good path. This is not... Puddle glum sort of obedience. 
that commits to doing it because it is good for us, just like a colonoscopy a couple times a year is good for us. That's not the kind of... Do you guys know who Paroglum is? He is a character in the Silver Chair on the Chronicles of Narnia series that, uh, you know, it's all like, all right, we'll do that. Just because... It was actually inspired after the, the Apostle Thomas, the doubter. Uh, Thomas is always challenging, and then he says, he finally gives in, all right, let's go, let's go to Jerusalem and be killed, because that's all we have to do. That's not the sort of obedience that the Word of God calls us and directs us as a path of light. The path of obedience onto which the Bible guides us as a lamp and a light is also the path of joy. And we read this morning in Psalm, uh, in Psalm 16, verse 11, you will show me the path of life, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When the path of obedience seems dark and gloomy to us. And listen to this. Okay? When the path of obedience seems dark and gloomy to us. If that's not what we want. When you hear someone like this, oh, here, here we go again. Tell me I can't do the things I want to do. When that's the case, it is because we are so in love with particular sins in our lives that our eyes have become darkened. We have grown in love with the path that leads to destruction instead of the path of life. God is good, and He does good. His Word guides us into righteousness, where joy forevermore lives, because that's where Jesus lives. May his word be the light and the lamp to our path, that we might see the Lord Jesus as we follow him through all the days of our lives, all the way to the end. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Enable us to live according to that. Give us great faith to love your word. Let us... Help us to say with the psalmist, Oh, how I love your word, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the days of my life. Enlighten us to see you. For asking Jesus' name, amen.